Welcome to the Inventory Nation podcast, a show designed to bring you the incredible voices and stories of veterinary professionals coast to coast, all while helping you to manage and control your inventory. I'm your host, Nicole Clausen, coach, advisor, and champion for veterinary teams and their inventory. Joining you live from the mountains of Montana, welcome to the show. Hello, and welcome back to the Inventory Nation podcast. I'm so excited you're here today. Today's an extra special episode because I am recording right from the Olympic Peninsula in Washington. Normally, I am broadcasting from Montana, but this week is an extra special episode because I am in Washington visiting my super sweet baby niece. So I'm so excited to share this podcast episode with you today. In today's episode, we are talking about the five ways to reduce your cost of goods in your practice. We talk about cost of goods frequently, and we hear the term COGS thrown around. And I think it's important to understand our inventory costs and understand how we can reduce them, right? We talk a lot about, you know, the impact that cost of goods has in our practice. And especially when we have elevated cost of goods, it can be really overwhelming as a practice owner or even an associate to say, oh, I know my costs are really high. I know this is eating into the profitability of my practice, but I'm just quite not sure what to do about it. So in today's episode, I really want to go through what are cost of goods? How do you actually calculate them? And then I really want to look at the top five ways you can reduce your inventory costs. So thanks so much for joining, and I look forward to this episode with you. So let's talk about our inventory costs. Before we really get into those, I want to talk about why they're important. So you may have heard me mention that inventory costs are the second largest expense in a veterinary practice, second only to labor costs. So our inventory expenses can range really from 15 to 35%. So that means that a practice with a $2 million annual revenue that has a 30% cost of goods sold will spend $600,000 annually on inventory. So if we have high inventory cost, that really can, you know, affect our practice in so many different ways. And I think my biggest one that I always go to is you know, right now, especially in vet mud, more than I've seen ever before, is when we have um, kind of this discrepancy, right, between what we're getting paid and then the training, the education, the experience that we have, and two and two is not coming out for. And so reducing our inventory costs is the best way to provide an immediate positive impact on the profitability of our practice and to allow us for room for raises to reinvest in staff and our teams and invest in equipment. So when we bring our cost of goods down to a more manageable, normal, quote unquote, level, we have the ability and the possibility to do so many different things, right? Maybe as a practice owner, you could actually take home a paycheck. 
what? So it's just really exciting to me. Um, so that's, I always like to share that. So let's kind of look at two different hospital scenarios. I love to compare and contrast the two. So let's just say hospital A, their revenue is $1.5 million. Their cost of goods sold is 30%. So that means that they spend annually $450,000 on inventory. Hospital B, their revenue is also $1.5 million, but their cost as a percentage of revenue sold is 18%. So that means annually they're spending $270,000 a year. So that's a difference of $180,000. So this could be used to purchase a new ultrasound and give a staff of 15 a $10,000 raise per year, right? So when we look at our cost of goods, even though, oh, 30% to 18% doesn't sound like a huge difference, but when we're looking at it and looking at it through the lens of millions of dollars of revenue per year, it adds up quickly. So one of the questions I get frequently is, what are COGS? What are cost of goods sold? What am I talking about when I mention that? So cost of goods sold, or COGS, refers to the direct cost of providing care to our patients. So generally speaking, anything related to patient care is the cost of goods sold. So this includes things like rabies, vaccines, vaccines in general, fluid therapy costs, injectables, tabs, pills, and liquids, in-house lab supplies, reference labs. It even includes cremation. And of course, things like prescription diets, retail items, medical waste disposal fees, imaging, all sorts of things like that. So anything that's directly related to the care of our patients is typically a cost of goods sold. If you're curious on learning more, I'll link in the show notes um, to the AHA chart of accounts. It really breaks down what's included in your cost of goods and kind of how to chart out um, the different cost and revenue centers in your practice. So things are, that are not included are things like janitorial supplies or office supplies. You know, so paper towels, toilet paper, office paper, ink, none of that stuff is going to be included in cost of goods. So really anything that's directly related to caring for our patients. So now that we kind of know what cost of goods are, let's shift to what should our cost of goods be? So there's a lot of benchmark data out there. And so the general accepted benchmark for cost of goods is 20% cost of goods as a revenue, or sorry, as a percentage of revenue sold. Now, with that being said, this does vary depending on the practice type. So Specialty, emergency, equine, and companion animal practices are all going to have different cost of goods just because of the different practices that they run. 
So for example, typically specialty and emergency centers will naturally have lower cost of goods because you're not carrying prescription foods, you're not carrying flea and tick products, and you likely don't have as many SKUs on the shelf. Not only that, but the services that you're providing, um, you're typically a more service-based practice rather than a product-based practice. Then on the flip side, though, equine, livestock, any of those practices typically have a naturally higher cost of goods. And this lends itself to a couple different things. But a lot of times it's just because simply the margins for equine and livestock practice inventory items are not like what they are for companion animal practices. So, you know, like I mentioned, 20 percent cost of goods as a percentage of revenue sold is a good place to be. It can range anywhere, of course, from 20, you know, 18 to 22%. But I think even more importantly is looking at your cost of goods month over month or year over year to identify any trends for your particular practice. So if you look at your cost of goods, let's just say every year, and you've noticed for the past three years, your cost of goods has gone up, but your revenue has stayed relatively stable. So that is something that we would immediately want to investigate, right? Because if we are, our costs are going up and they keep rising, but our revenue is not rising in relation, we immediately want to say, okay, I need to take a step back and look at my cost of goods. So yes, the benchmark is important, kind of helps us determine where we want to be. But even more importantly, we want to look at our individual practices data to say, okay, this is too high. We're going up year over year. Maybe we're going down over year over year. So that's really important data as well. So I wouldn't discount that. It can also be incredibly valuable to break down your cost of goods category into different subcategories. So you can have an over-the-counter category, maybe you have a preventatives category, hospital supplies category, etc. So not only are you evaluating your cost of goods, but you're also looking at your cost of goods per category. So you can say, oh, maybe my cost of goods is X for my prescription diets, but my revenue is about the same. So that gives us a little bit more investigation power for us to say, oh, wait a second. I know why my cost of goods might be elevated because I have not, you know, reviewed this subcategory, or maybe I haven't increased the cost for my prescription diets in a long time. So my markups are all off. So that can really kind of help you to pinpoint what's exactly going on. So a lot of people will ask me, how do I actually calculate my cost of goods? So the calculation for determining your cost of goods as a percentage of revenue sold is you take your cost of goods sold in dollars and you divide it by your revenue in dollars. Now, once you get that, that'll be a decimal. And so we're gonna multiply that by 100 to give us our percentage. So when you're performing this calculation, it's really important that your costs 
and your revenue data are for the same time period, right? So 12 months, maybe a month, right? We don't want to look at our cost of goods for six months, but our revenue for a year. So we want to make sure that that stays the same. And so unless you know that your practice management system is very accurate, it may not have reliable cost data for you. And so the most reliable numbers are likely going to be from your accounting software. But if all you have is available is your practice management system, you know, there are ways to make it work. Okay, so now let's shift gears and let's look at my top five ways to reduce your cost of goods. So we'll start with number five. So the number fifth way to reduce your cost of goods is to establish an inventory system. So I always think about grocery shopping as a good analogy for managing inventory. And actually, I literally just went grocery shopping with my mom so I can extra attest to this. We did not have a list. We kind of knew what we wanted, but not really. And so we just kind of went into the store and we just kind of like grabbed a couple things and, you know, it was kind of like, oh, let's look at this and let's look at that. Just imagine if you had just gotten off work and you are super hungry, super tired, maybe super cranky. So you go to the store and you're like, okay, I need to get stuff for this week, right? And you just start kind of pulling stuff off the shelves. And you're like, yeah, that looks good. And that looks good. And that looks great. And you throw it all in the cart and you check out and then you realize, oh, wait a second. I like didn't get anything for meals. I got a bunch of snacks and I'm way over budget, right? So I think about the same thing when it comes to our inventory, right? If we're, you know, trying to place an order between appointments, we're like, I don't really know. And you just kind of look and you're like, oh yeah, let's get gauzes and syringes and this and this and this and this, right? Instead of having like that true sad strategy that says, okay, I am going, I am predicting that I'm going to need this, 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 and this based upon my historical demand data. So without an inventory system in place, we run the risk of reacting to what's low rather than actually planning and forecasting for the future. Not only that, but we may potentially get panic text off or... <laughs> We may potentially get panic texts on our day off, or maybe you're feeling like you're barely treading water. So when we have this inventory system in place, it can really impact our cost of goods because we are stepping off of that feast and famine cycle that can lead to overordering or panic buying, thus increasing our cost of goods. So some really helpful tools for creating your inventory strategy is going to be reorder points from your practice management software, reorder tags, reorder bins, or any other efficient way to identify your demand and forecast that for the future. Okay, so next is number four, high accounts receivable. So with high accounts receivable, that means that you have a lot of clients sitting out there with balances. So this impacts your cost of goods incredibly because you've technically paid for that inventory item, but you have not been paid for it. So until that inventory item is paid for, you have a negative profit margin. So if you have a lot of outstanding accounts payable, it adds up very 
quickly. So some of the things that are helpful here, you know, is to think about offering different financing options besides, you know, letting clients have balances on their account. So maybe that looks like scratch pay, care credit, or other third-party payment methods. And of course, we want to limit the amount of unpaid balances. And if you are allowing unpaid balances to send out statements and follow up with any outstanding balances right away. Another thing that you can do is if people want to have balances on their account, you know, to not let them carry a balance for inventory items. Still, if you have high accounts receivable, that could impact your cost of goods just because you aren't getting that revenue, but you're paying for that inventory item. You're using those goods to take care of that patient. Now you're just not getting paid for it. So having those high accounts receivable is going to impact our cost of goods, you know, more often, you know, than we're probably realizing. Okay, so the next one, number three, mischarges. So the effects of mischarges are similar to those from having a high accounts receivable, but with accounts receivable, you might see the revenue, but with mischarges, it just flies out the window. So there is a recent study that said mischarges average $64,000 per full-time veterinarian per year. So just think about that for a second. Let's just like slow down and just imagine that. So let's say you have a 10 doctor practice. That's $640,000 a year that is just walking out the door that you are not getting back. That's almost a million dollars, right? So let's just like pump the brakes and pause. A million dollars. That's a lot of dollars. Okay, so think about that. So even if one third of that was related to inventory, you not only had to pay for that item, but you won't see any revenue. So now to make up that revenue, it's going to take a lot. So let's look at kind of a, a scenario here. So let's say we have flea and tick prevention and a six dose pack costs $90 for the unit cost. Then we have on that product a 35% markup. So that gives us a client price of $121.50. So now, if we miss that charge one time, we need to sell the product four more times just to start making a profit again. Now that doesn't include indirect costs or any veterinarian production. So that is just one product missed one time. So kind of go back for a second. For that product that we missed one time that had a 35% markup and a price of $121.50, we would have to sell that product four times just to start making a profit again. So that's just one product missed one time. So imagine a 10 veterinarian practice with $640,000 per year in missed charges. Think about how much missed opportunity for revenue there is there. Think about how many, how much missed opportunity for, you know, 
investing in equipment and training and continuing education or whatever it is that you want to invest in. Think about the missed opportunity there. So if we are paying for an item, but we're not receiving any revenue for it, it's going to just increase our cost of goods, right? Because if our revenue stays the same, but our costs go up, think about the ratio there between our cost of goods and our revenue. So what can we do about mischarges? So some tools for reducing mischarges include chart audits. I love doing chart audits. It's one of my favorite little investigative things. Double checking prescriptions, using canned estimates and templates for, you know, a lot of pricing. This is especially important, I think, for, you know, big procedures, um, surgeries that we don't do very frequently, um, you know, anything that just um, we need a double set of eyes on. The other thing that's super helpful is having charging policies and standard operating procedures in place double checking invoices, and then having even a management team approval or on large or complicated surgeries or procedures, right? So we know, okay, so let's say that I'm the technician, I helped out with this huge surgery, I put the charges in, the veterinarian double check the charges, and then a member of management team checks the, the charges just to make sure, you know, that everything is, you know, how it should not only that, but there's nothing worse than having to call a client because you missed like $600 worth of, of you know, services on a huge orthopedic bill. That's just literally the worst. <laughs> okay, so number two, top ways to reduce our inventory cost of goods, overstock, right? So I always think about this scenario. If you have a super messy central storage, or maybe you don't even have a central storage, but everything is kind of like hodgepodge all over the place, how would you reliably know that something is low or even where something is? So having a lot of overstock and kind of having a disorganized inventory area can quickly raise our cost of goods because it can result in expired product. We have no idea that stuff is there. So the overstock or stock in general is hidden. So then, you know, you'd like, let's say it's gauze, for example, and, you know, it's kind of stashed away in one spot. Somebody doesn't really know where it is. They can't find it. They panic. They think you're out. And then they text you on your day off and you're like, oh, no, we're out of gauze. What are we going to do? Order some right away. And you're maybe you're like out to lunch with your kids and you're like, OK, yeah, I'll just order some really quick. And so you just order, quote unquote, a bunch, right? But little did they know you had a stockpile of exactly what you needed on the shelf already. They just couldn't find it. So as you may have heard me mention before, the key to ordering is to use or sell it before you ever have to pay for it. So if we are kind of like ordering just we don't have that strategy like I was talking about. It can really increase our cost of goods because we're not thinking strategically as far as, okay, what am I actually going to be using? What is my demand for this item? And then kind of carrying that forward into our ordering strategy. So some tools for reducing overstock in your practice is to order based upon your usage very intentionally ordering promotional items 
and then making sure that all inventory has a clear defined quote unquote home so that everyone knows where to look to find that particular item. Okay, so number one way to reduce your inventory costs is, are you ready for this? Duplicate products. So what are duplicate products? So when I think of duplicate products, it's basically duplicate products of a similar category or kind of the same item. So excessive duplicate products or even you know, a high number of SKUs in general are the biggest reason for high cost of goods that I see. So think about it like prescription diets, right? Let's say there's a prescription diet and, you know, they have a bunch of different varieties, right? There's chicken and fish and chicken and vegetable pate and morsels and gravy. And, you know, it can go on like a laundry list of things and you carry all of them, right? Think about that just one diet and all the variations that you have on the shelf. So that very quickly, right? And then so maybe we have a client who is like, oh, maybe I'll get a can there and a can there. And then it's just kind of really sporadic. And so it's sitting on our shelf. And when it's sitting on our shelf, it's not making us that revenue that we need. So another big one that I see a lot is flea, tick, and heartworm preventions. You know, maybe there's four, five, six different kinds in the practice. And I always think about this for like the outlier sizes, right? So our teeny tinies or our super big dogs. You know, if you have a case of the teeny tiny size, right? Like the two to five pounds of every size, even just one case is 60 doses. So you add that on for all like five kinds, that's 300 doses. I don't think I've ever seen 300 doses sold of a two to five pound animal in a 30 day period ever in my life. Okay, probably there is a situation where that would be happening, but it's not very common. So again, we go back to this thinking strategically, okay, what am I going to use in the next 30 day period? And then ordering based upon that. So Kind of going on that note, specialty and emergency practices have some of the lowest costs of goods. So why is that? They often do not stock, they often do not stock food, preventative, and generally have fewer SKUs. So some tools for duplicate products is to be intentional about what you stock. Make a list of all duplicate products and lean on your online pharmacy or have ways and policies for handling special orders and things that don't really sell generally very well in your practice. So like I said, the top five ways to reduce our inventory costs. Number five, we want to establish an inventory system. Number four, we want to look at our accounts receivable. Number three, we want to look at our missed charges. Number two, we want to look at our overstock. And number one, we want to look at our duplicate products. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the Inventory Nation podcast. As always, it was such a pleasure and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much and I'll see you next week.
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Inventory Nation podcast and spending your time with me. I know your time is valuable and in short supply, so it truly is an honor. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe or leave a review. Be sure to visit vetlogic.co slash podcast to access the show notes and discover additional links and resources. See you next time.